My name is Anton Hoffman. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree Church. And once again, on behalf of the family, welcome to the family this morning, the family meeting this morning. You can connect with us in any number of ways. You can grab somebody around you and say, tell me some more. There's an insert in the Seasons Weekly, which you can fill out and ask your questions and put them in the offering churches at the front and back. Or you can stop by the welcome table, which is just outside the door here, and they will very gladly uh, assist you with any questions you may have. The University of California in Santa Barbara has had three Nobel Prize, Prize winners in the last decade. And from time to time, Stephen Hawking, the world-famous cosmologist, comes by and talks with the faculty in scientific jargon that you and I would never understand. And then he also gives a public lecture. And I once got an invitation to go and hear Stephen Hawking. He's had ALS and since 1974 has been unable to dress himself or feed himself. His speech became so slurred that he could only be understood by people who knew him well. In 1985, he caught pneumonia and had a tracheotomy, and after that, he couldn't speak at all. A Cambridge scientist built a computer for him, and by learning to wriggle an alphabet with the 1% of his body that was still able to move, a voice synthesizer took those wriggles and projected them as sound. So it was quite an experience to sit there, and you can't even see him wriggling, but he talked about things like cosmology, the Big Bang Theory, black holes, light cones, and superstring theory, all in terms that even a dummy like me could sort of follow what he was saying. Don't ask me anymore what he said, because... It's gone. <laughs> when he met with the giants on the academic side, the purpose of his meeting with them was a meeting of their minds at their level. And so it would be very different to the presentation he gave to the public. In each instance, the purpose of his talk, the nature of the audience, orchestrated what he said. When we come to thinking about the Bible, those same questions arise. We've got to ask, what is the audience in the Bible? And the answer is, whosoever, whosoever believes in Jesus will experience eternal life. And the audience is the entire human race. It's not just the super intellects nor the very simple. It's me, a total dummy, and wherever you put yourself on that scale, you're included in the audience. In Kenya, I shared with our taxi driver the simple plan of salvation using that diagram of the chasm between man and God and Jesus spanning it with his cross, and then a second diagram of your life as a castle and yourself on the throne and you've got to abdicate and invite Jesus on in an act of repentance. And all along I was asking, do you understand, answering his questions and he was nodding assent. 
while he was driving. I don't know if that was so good, but we survived. And then when we got to the end, he turned to me with that big, wonderful smile of his. And George said to me, why is it so simple? I was taken aback for a moment. And then I said, it's that easy so that no one is left out, not even a child, and so that no one will have an excuse. So we've got to then ask, what literary type is the Bible? Is it literature, history, geography, math, biology, theoretical, physics, poetry, science, prophecy? There's even meteorology in the book of Ecclesiastes. What is it? Well, it's all of that. You will find examples of all of that, but it's much more. You see, the Bible is in a special category of its own, and it's called revelation. God revealing himself. God saying, this is who I am. God searching, seeking, looking for sinners. And so the Bible is written so that we may all understand, and it is revelation. And what is the purpose of the Bible? Well, the purpose is really to connect with sinners. To connect with a sinner like me. And if you see yourself as a sinner this morning, then a sinner like you, and maybe you don't think you're a sinner, well, then... God has got nothing to offer you, I'm afraid, until you reach that conclusion and that truth about yourself. But the purpose is that we might find God. And so the story in the Bible hop scotches selectively through history, touching here and touching there, picking up this person's story and that person's story. But in the long run, each stone is set with definite and specific purpose and that the story is as selective as your resume. This is God's resume. God's work is on display. So that individual's gone haywire in the haywireness of the universe and of our world can have their lives patched back together by the amazing grace of the great creator. And so as we look through Genesis, this first chapter, we find this formula is repeated eight times in the 23 verses that are under our consideration this morning. God said, or God told, you will see in the video we've got, God said, God told, God saw, God called, and God proclaimed it was good. Now bear in mind that that formula repeats eight times and here is our scripture reading in a dramatic form.
us all pray together. Dear God, when all was without form and void, the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos and you spoke your word into the chaos and out of the confusion and the formlessness of the void came light and beauty and order. Now, Holy Spirit, you hover over us May each person in our audience be aware that you hover over him or her. And will you take your word and use it as you intended it to be used in the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to every individual so that at the end of this brief, brief time together, we will be able to say, God created and it is good. Amen. So the story is all about God. God saw, God said, God called, God said it was good. But out of all of that, the only thing that we know about God is that he is awesome and that he must be an incredible design and production engineer. But how do we get more knowledge about God? Well, listen to Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament, which picks up this theme and expounds it a little bit. Uh, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, the they being you and me and us. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, nor even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols. Now let's see if we can put this in a modern context. A reserve colonel in the Air Force once invited me to Edwards Air Force Base. It's on the southern tip of the Mojave Desert, a great place for testing out new aircraft because it's so deserted. And parked in a hangar was a B-1 bomber. And I was invited, much to my delight and to my uh, childish pleasure, to climb the stairs. And I thought as I was climbing up into the cockpit, wow, look what my taxes bought. <laughs> You see, this sucker cost about $254 million. And you can be sure that it was not conceived one Friday afternoon by a bunch of buddies uh, partaking of a keg of booze. Decades of design went into this. And manufacturers all around the, the country sent their product and it was assembled. 
And then the captain said to me, now over there in that hangar behind the closed doors is our next generation bomber, but it's top secret. Now that it's no longer top secret, here it is, the B-2 bomber. This one is about $750 million, just that one. So my taxes have gone up in value. Now, just about this time, there'd been an earthquake in California. It was at Riverside, and it shook about, uh, about 500 square miles of territory, including our home in Santa Barbara, 150 miles away. And here's some pictures of the destruction it wrought. That's the I-5, and the Santa Monica freeway just got demolished in about 10 seconds. And... Uh, it was just a nightmare. Now, can you imagine what this colonel would have said to me if I said, hey, that earthquake's amazing. Just look what it produced and pointed to the B-1 bomber and to the hangar where the still secret bomber was. Well, we know for a fact that no number of earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, measured, multiplied by the measurement of time since the beginning, can ever bring forth a B-1 bomber. It's got 500 miles of electrical wiring in it. It's got numerous computers which are analyzing information coming to it from the engines. It's analyzing and computing with GPS and with all sorts of other things that I can't even mention, to gauge where it is in flight, to zero in on a target, compute all these factors and send a missile to the exact place that it, it's intended to go. Well, as you can imagine, that took more than chance and accident. And when we come to the human body, we get something even more sophisticated than a B-2 bomber. Listen to Psalm 139. Oh yes, you shaped me inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. And all the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all pre prepared even before I'd even lived one day. What a great reading for Mother's Day. Is this human body more remarkable than a B-2 bomber? Well, let's take an example. We have Andy Roddick serving a tennis ball at 150 miles an hour. Just to get that right over the net and into the service area is already remarkable. 
But think of a Roger Federer on the other side. He's 60 feet away from a 150 mile an hour missile. He can gauge where the ball is coming. There's GPS. He can get to the ball, keep himself vertical, prepare his racket head, and return the ball over the net into, the, into play as if it was just another slurp of a milkshake. Yes, the brain of Stephen Hawking, even though it's in a body that is not functioning, is so amazing that he can wrestle with the mathematics and physics of our universe. What an inspiring world we live in. This question of design in nature was one that troubled Charles Darwin all his professional life. In the year following the publication of The Origin of the Species, he wrote to a colleague, Asa Gray, who was professor of natural history at Harvard University. And here are Charles Darwin's words, I am conscious that I am in an utterly hopeless muddle. I cannot think that the world as we see it is the result of chance. And yet, I cannot look at each separate thing as a result of design. Well, you see, the Bible is written to clear up that muddle for us to know that there was a creator and a designer and a manufacturer. I think if Genesis had been written by Darwin, he would have said something like this. In the beginning there was nothing. And nothing exploded. And nothing is traveling at the speed of light. And nothing is producing everything. Which is why the Apostle Paul says their minds became foolish. When we reduce it to those elements, we can say, well, Darwin, you had a lot of faith. You had more faith than I have got. Your faith is in random genetic mutation and natural selection. But mine at least is rational. It believes in historic reality. I can go to contemporary writings and find out that there was a man called Jesus. I can go to archaeology and find that the, the, re, the revelation in the Bible is all true. And I can experience the God of creation in this great way. But now we've got to go further and say, how does God actually communicate his personality and character and purpose to us. If the creation just lets us know, yes, there's a God, he's great and awesome and we, we've got to be silent before him, how can we know more than that? And so God does something remarkable. Let me put it in this way. Let's assume that I wanted to send a message to a colony of bees. It's been found that there is a bee language. And they communicate by waggling their rear ends. So when a bee comes in from harvesting or from angry battle, it flies into the hive and here's some picture of it and it waggles its beard. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Now that is perfectly clear to every bee in the hive. That bee is saying exactly what it wants to communicate. So imagine if I went with my fat, uh, let me rephrase it, with my rear end and stuck it in a beehive and waggled it. Well, I can guarantee you two things. Number one, I would break the world's speed record to the nearest pond of water. And secondly, I would create a new record for holding my breath underwater. You see, the only way to communicate to a hive of bees what my intentions, what my purposes, what my thoughts are, would be to become an actual bee, to be myself and become a bee. So when we look at the scriptures, we find that this is actually what God did. So look at Philippians chapter 2. Though Christ Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So when the Bible talks about God in creation, it says that God did it like finger work. You know, he was busy, but he said, oh, in a, it's the word used of a woman doing lace work. So God just sort of spun out the creation as if he was incidentally doing something. And then Isaiah says, nevertheless, when he brought salvation, he showed his right arm. So salvation in Christ is bigger than the creation by the proportion of lace work to heavyweight lifting. <laughs> so if we had silence and stood in awe about God as the creator, here we have God the redeemer who is not going to give up. He won't ever give up, not on you, not on any chaos that you have, not on every barriers that you find in your heart or in your thinking. God is not going to give up on his creation. He will do whatever it takes. Here's how it is recorded by the Apostle John in John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then these words, and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. What does this grace for grace mean? Well, it's another way of saying wave upon wave. Endless waves of grace. 
ceaseless waves of blessing, the continual rolling of the surf off the vastness of the depths of the ocean, like breakers on some splendid shore, God continues to reveal himself night after night. Speech is uttered by the skies, day after day by the creation. And then, in addition, are these waves whereby he's reaching out to you. There's one happening right now. You're aware that the Holy Spirit is communicating with your heart. There's a wave taking place right here. My, my favorite saying, I mean all time, is this one. God swamp you. If you ever call my voicemail at church, you'll hear me saying that. And I often use it in my email replies. And it comes from this verse. God swamp you. Recently, somebody took that negatively and wrote me a response which said, would I throw them a lifeline if God swamps them? <laughs> and I didn't even have to think. I wrote back and said, lifeline? You don't need a lifeline. You need a surfboard. <laughs> you see, we were created for surfing. Now, here's a picture of a total lunatic. You see the size of that wave? It was generated by a tsunami. And he caught a 100-foot wave. God is our tsunami. He didn't have to expend any energy doing that. He just had to get up on his surfboard and the wave did everything. Now, you may be scared of a wave that size. I certainly am. But you know what you learn a little bit about even body surfing is that when the wave gets beyond you and you feel you're going to really mess up, you see surfers do it often. They just turn over on their surfboard and they dip under the wave and you come up behind the wave. And guess what? There's another wave. <laughs> because you see these waves are generated by God's energy. They are endless. And so I can say to you right now, look, here comes a wave. And some of us have been wallowing between waves in our Christian experience. And now here comes the grace of our seeking God saying, all aboard. <laughs> and maybe you haven't ever discovered God before, but today he has revealed himself as more than the creator and the designer and producer of our magnificent world. He's also the God who is seeking and searching and looking. And his purpose is for you to catch the wave that's coming by right now. You may fall off. We all have. But the next one and the next one and the next one will take you safely home. Let's all pray together.